Listener Production. G'day, welcome along. You are listening to episode 102 of the Howie Games, part B, featuring Michael Holding. Time to roll on. Mikey, we need to move on to sports commentary, a passion of mine and obviously yours. But before you went into the commentary game, I was reading your book, which I was really enjoying. You went into business. Yep. Um, operating a petrol station, Mikey. Yep. What was, yep. What was the Gas name station, of the station, as we call it, it in Jamaica? What was the name of this business in Kingston? It was just called Michael Holden Special Station. And what was life as the boss of a business like after you'd been a, a cricketer travelling around the world? Not easy. <laughs> <laughs> Not easy. Um, very stressful. I The first 18 months of running that business, I spent almost the entire day at the station. And when I say day, I don't mean just light hours. The, 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 the hours be, between sunrise and sunset. I'm talking about day. Day is 24 hours. I would spend up to 18 hours a day at that petrol station because petrol station business is something that you have got to be present as, as the owner because there are so many slips between the cup and the lip in a petrol station or in a, any business that deals with cash. Lots of ways for that cash to disappear. <laughs> lots, <laughs> lots of ways of that petrol or gas that, we, as we call it in Jamaica, that you're supposed to be selling to disappear. Right. Before it even gets into your tank, it can disappear. <laughs> so, you, you know, you have to be present. And I was spending 18 hours a day at that gas station. And believe me, I got a great deal of support from folks that worked, worked with me or that I worked with in the business. And of course, from the Jamaican public, you know, I, every opportunity I get, I thank the Jamaican public for supporting me so much in, in that business because a lot of people, when they heard that I had that gas station, they had accounts at different stations and they moved their accounts and came to my station. And I would hope that they were satisfied with the service that they got. But, you know, I have to thank them. But it was tough. It was tough. It wasn't easy running that petrol station. As a matter of fact, it brought me to tears on more than one occasion. <laughs> but um, I, I, I cry easily. So, <laughs> so I, I cried on a cricket field twice. So, you know. <laughs> when was the first time you cried on a cricket field? 1975 in Australia. I got Ian Chapel out in, in Sydney and the umpire refused to give him out. And I cried. Wow. I thought as a young man, as I said, I didn't have a great little experience of cricket before I started playing with the West Indies. And I just thought growing up as a young man, hearing about test cricket and it's a gentleman's game. And <laughs> you thought, okay, this is test cricket. This is not backyard cricket where the umpire is, is, is causing his batting or that sort of thing. If he's out, he's out. And when I, but that wasn't the only occasion that we saw things going on that I just didn't think happened in test cricket because, you know, test series started in Brisbane. I started from Brisbane. But in that test match in particular, we were fighting to get back because we had won in Perth. We lost Brisbane. We won in Perth. And now this is, this is we lost in Melbourne. This is now Sydney. We're trying to get back to Tuol. Mm-hmm. And immediately I get rid of Ian Redpath. Chapel walks in. Great batsman. So, you, you know, you're up for it. You want to get rid of him. You want to make sure that your, your team is on top. One ball. First ball. Bang. Gone. Umpire said not out. And I wept. I couldn't believe it. I could not believe it. So, Mikey, how does a man go from retiring from cricket, running 
the gas station to becoming one of yep. the premier cricket broadcasters on the planet? Like, what was your first induction into sports broadcasting? Well, f- thank you very much for thinking that I'm one of the premier you, well, broadcasters. You are. Of course you are. Well, I, I don't know about that. I don't, again, I don't think about things like that. But I became a broadcaster. I started doing commentary in 1988 in Jamaica on radio. I have a very good friend who was working at the radio station, RGR, it's called Radio Jamaica, Radio Fusion or something like that was the name of this place at the time. And we were very good friends. And he came to me after I retired in 87 and said to me, Mikey, Pakistan come to the West Indies in next year, 88. I would like you to come and do some radio commentary. Mm-hmm. And I said, what? No, he said, I wanted to do some. I said, no, no, Ed. His name is Ed Barnes. I said, no, no Ed, you're joking or what? <laughs> he said, Mikey, no, man. I wanted to do some radio commentary. You'll be good at it. Those days, I never ever thought I could even speak to two people, much less speak into the world. And I said, no, you have the wrong man. But the, again, as I said, this is 87. They're not coming till 88. Or it might have been early 88. And they're coming, coming like two, three months down the road or whatever. And he came back to me a few months later on, pestering me again. And then he said to me, no, I don't think you understand it. I said, what do you mean? I said, I'm not interested in anything to do with radio commentary. He said, Mikey, all I want you to do is work with Reds Pereira and Tony Koja. They will do the ball-by-ball commentary. All you are doing is color commentary. At the end of the over, you come in and say a few words, and then the next over starts, and they go on again. And I thought to myself, oh, that doesn't sound too hard. (laughs) (laughs) I I think I can manage that. (laughs) And when you mention Tony Koja and Reds Pereira that you're going to be working with, you think to yourself, mercy, couldn't want anything better. And that is how I started doing radio commentary in 1988 in Jamaica. And then now in 1991, I think, England toured the Caribbean. And this is now the first time that a television company is going to be coming to the Caribbean to broadcast cricket live on TV out of the Caribbean. And apparently, the contract that they had with the West Indies Cricket Board stipulated that they had to have at least two Caribbean voices on the broadcast. Now, obviously, one is Tony Koja. And Tony Koja then recommended to them that they use me as a second one. So that's how I got into television. And, of course, it just grew and grew and grew. And And were you always as smooth as you are now? Like your first couple of attempts, how'd you go? No way. Well, if if you think I'm smooth, no, again, thanks. But I I was nowhere near what I I am now because... I I just couldn't deal with the fact that I was speaking to so many people. <laughs> so many people were listening to what I had to say. And I was nervous. Even, I think I, when was the first time I did Channel 9? Early 90s, I think, was the first time I did Channel 9. And I, they got me to sit down beside Rich Beno to do commentary. And I thought to myself, as I'm sitting down, of course I'm wearing a shirt and the Channel 9 blaze and I feel some liquid starting to drip from under my arms because I'm now sweating. <laughs> sitting beside Richie Beno to do commentary. And I'm sitting there like a dummy. I, I'm not really saying much. And Richie turns to me, realizing that I'm a little bit uncomfortable, turns to me and says to me, Mikey, you see that white button there? 
on the, this box that you have that you can talk to the director and things. I, I never ever thought that I would be talking to the director. I said, I'm just sitting there. He said, you see that button? If you want to talk about something that is not on the screen, press that button and tell the director what, what you want to see so that you can talk about it. And I think to myself, Richard Beno is telling me that I should be doing something like that, taking over and talk. <laughs> you know, he, he's trying to get me to relax, to, to make me feel you're a part of this. You're not just a little dummy sitting here. And from then, my confidence started to grow a little bit. And of course, my relationship with also Ian Chappell, who is a straight talker. Yes. He shoots from the hip. He tells you exactly what he thinks. Relationship with him grew up, kept on growing, and he would also talk to me about doing commentary. Sometimes I would go to Chapelli. I remember something happening on a cricket field once, and the commentator didn't really commit. And I went to Chapelli. I said, Chapelli, is, is that what is expected of us, you know? And Chapelle said to me, Mikey, what is expected of you is you. You commentate the way you do it. That's his way. You commentate the way you do it. What is expected of you is to be you. And I said, okay. And from that day, I've never been afraid to commit, to express an opinion. If I'm wrong later on, I say, okay, I got that one wrong. And that has been the basis of my commentary from that day with Chapelli. And Mikey, you are known, as I said, as being the creme de la creme, but you are also known for your wonderful directness. When I'm listening to Michael Holding, I'm not thinking, is he really going to say what he thinks? He is saying <laughs> what he thinks. I'm sorry, Slats, but the umpiring in this game has been atrocious. For one, even when I was playing, when you were not as strict as they are now, you're allowed one appeal. You don't appeal two, three, four times to the umpire. That's the first thing. They are being intimidated. That means they are weak. This has been an atrocious bit of umpiring by both. How has that been for you, being a man that has said what you think in commentary? Has it caused you problems along the way? Is it just the way you've got to do it? How do you view You know what I mean by that. Yeah, yeah, totally. And what I said, that is where I started when Chapelle told me that. And it has caused problems to a degree. I don't really consider it a problem, Howie, because I once I am comfortable with what I've said and what, what the opinion that I've expressed, once I'm comfortable with that, I know it's going to offend certain people. Some Certain people think, oh, it could have been a little bit more diplomatic and that sort of thing. But once I'm comfortable with it and I'm not being abrasive, I will live with it. I have made comments about people that people think because I've made that particular comment, I don't like that person. I've been accused around the Caribbean and to a degree, that's why I'm not upset that I'm not doing cricket in the Caribbean anymore. I haven't done cricket in the Caribbean since about 2012. Mm. But I'm not going to be not critical of somebody because I'm friends with that person. Yeah. If that person has done something that I think I need to say wasn't quite right, I'm going to say it. It doesn't matter who that person is. Right now, I'm very close to that young fast bowler in South Africa, Kaisa Rabada. Yeah. But when Rabada got himself into that Australia, on that Australia tour, and again against England, I was very critical of KG, very publicly on television, on Sky, on Sports. 
Is it because I don't like him? It's because I have a job to do. And I'm going to do my job, irrespective of what other people think. Talking about South Africa, Mikey, you have to let me know here. Because you've done so much work in South Africa, were you commentating the South Africa-England test where Hansi was making the declarations? It was a thriller of a game, and in the end, probably on balance, England deserved to sneak home. It was a generous declaration by Hansi Cronier earlier in the piece. Yes, yes. And I said live on Sky that if this test match was being played on the subcontinent, people will start talking about bookmakers and match fixing. I said it live on Sky. Oh, you can go back and find the tape. I said it live on Sky. Wow. And people working for Sky came to me. First of all, the director downstairs in my ear said, how can you say something like that? People working with Sky came to me and said, how can you say something like that? Sky got telephone calls. They got emails. They got letters. What is that Michael Holding talk? They are making a game out of a dead match. But I knew what was going on. And you were proven right. Well, I need to be proven right. I knew what was going yeah. on. Wow. <laughs> the next year, when the thing hit the fan, two of those gentlemen who were critical of me in South Africa from Sky came to me and apologized, which was great of them. Really, they manned up and said, boy, Mike, we didn't understand. The great West Indian team, Mikey, is it cyclical? Will we see another great West Indian team? I don't think we'll see another team like the one I played in in my lifetime. I wouldn't tell you never, because you can never say never. But I think conditions and things have changed so much. It's difficult for any team to dominate the way that we dominated then in today's world, because it's a different game now. You know, there is so much technology involved. There is so much specific training. I don't think that can happen again, because other teams keep on learning against the opposition. Not that those days people didn't learn, but it is so forced down now, down your throat now, that it's difficult to dominate like that again. But I would hope that the Westerners will again be a a force to be reckoned with in the not-too-distant future because there is talent in the Caribbean. There's a ton of talent. It's a matter of getting the talent together getting a cohesive force again, like the one that we had in the 70s, 80s, 90s. Because if the talent that we have, if we can get them into a cohesive force, they'll beat anyone. The cricket needs it. You know, there's nothing that, you know, the sights of the creams and the maroon hat and guys steaming in and aggressive batsmen, it's, cricket needs it, Mikey. It does, but cricket needs with all this Mickey Mouse 2020 that you have been attracting so many big crowds. Cricket needs competitiveness at the test level. And you're not just competitive between two or three teams. You need five teams that are very competitive, that when they play against each other, there's a great deal of interest. That when two teams get together, you're not too sure who is going to beat whom. You know, and that is what test cricket needs. And unless we get that, it's going to just slowly fade. If you're in the commentary box now and you can choose one bowler in world cricket currently playing and one batsman in world cricket currently playing and that's going to excite you seeing that competition, who's the bowler and who's the batsman? Cummins and Coley. Cummins I don't have to think too much. Coley, Cummins and Coley. Mikey, come out to Australia this summer with Fox Cricket <laughs> and come and commentate <laughs> with us on that. 
Well, I'll tell you what, Howie, I was, I was invited when Fox got, when Channel 9 lost cricket, I was invited to come and join the commentary team out there, but I couldn't because I already had, had a relationship with South Africa and Supersport. And although I don't have a contract with them, I'm a man, I don't, I don't just turn my back on people who have done good for me. So I couldn't. Well, Mikey, I will give up my seat a thousand times for you to come over at some stage and jump in at Fox Cricket. More of Michael in a minute. When we asked you loyal listeners a couple of weeks ago to nominate a guest for episode 100, I got a lot of great suggestions at MarkHoward03, which I greatly appreciated on socials. But a lot of the guests you all suggested have already featured on the show. The back catalogue now is getting pretty big, and it seems you may have all missed some of the guests that you would actually like to hear from. They're actually there, so check it out. So instead of highlighting the guest from the last episode, as we would normally do now, I'm going to go retro, step back in time, and randomly pick guests from the back catalogue, like episode 10, featuring two-time Melbourne Cup winning jockey and very, very big character, Jimmy Cassidy, a.k.a. Pumper. I did. That That, that was a good story. Did I had you to, truly do that? I dude? truly did, yeah. I, 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 Underbelly style. Underbelly style, rolled in cash. At 20, Pumper was rolling in money. <laughs> I got I got the grey nurses, the hundred dollar bills, oh, the cha- changed into twenties, <laughs> so and, and my mate out. said, "What are you doing that for?" I said, "I'll show you." So we got back to the hotel room, Pump took all his gear off, got the Melbourne Cup whip, tipped all the money on the bed, <laughs> and for one hour I was literally just rolling in cash. <laughs> That's Jimmy Cassidy on episode ten of the show. Alrighty, back to Mikey. A, a serious one for a moment. There's no easy way for me to ask you this question. Everything that's happened in the States and around the world as a result of what's occurred there with racial discrimination being highlighted as it should be, how have you seen all this, Mikey? It has been very disturbing. I've gotten into many conversations, arguments with with people. Some of them are, as I said, conversations. Some are arguments. Got a little bit more than a conversation about the entire topic and about the entire situation. And... This thing has been going on for too long, Howie. You know, people are talk about there's nothing called white privilege. There is. And don't care what anyone says. I just read another article that someone sent me who's trying to argue with me. They have received nothing because they are white, so they have nothing to be guilty of. It's not about receiving anything physically. It is about treatment. That's all we are talking about, the treatment of human beings. A black person in America gets pulled over on the road probably four or five times more easily than a white person in America. And not for breaking a law. Just gets pulled over because he's black. That is what I'm talking about, white privilege. A black person goes to a store in America and one of the employees follows that person around the store to see what they are doing and seeing if they're pushing anything into their bag does not do a white person. That is white privilege I'm talking about. Not because I'm saying that because you're white, you get into a university easier than a person. We're talking about just certain privileges that come automatic. If you remember the scenario, this proves it so much. The scenario of that lady in Central Park with her dog, that made world news. Everybody would have known about that. Mm. Well, the black man, the African-American said to her, could you please put your dog on a leash? That's the law. Please don't come close to me. Sir, I'm asking you to stop recording. Please, please don't come close to me. Please don't 
Please don't come close to me. Please, please call the cops. I'm gonna tell them there's an African-American man threatening my life. Please tell them whatever you like. I'm sorry, I'm in the ramble, and there's a man, African-American, who has a bicycle helmet. He's recording me and threatening me and my dog. And she threatens this black man to call the police saying that he is threatening her life. Now, how can he be threatening her life just by asking her to put a leash on her dog, which is the law? But because she is white and she knows the strength of her whiteness in the society in which she lives, she knows that if she calls the police nine times out of 10 or 98 times out of 100, the police officer is going to be white and the black man is going to be guilty until proven innocent. She knows that. That is why she has threatened this man with her white privilege. And that is disgusting as far as I'm concerned. And if anybody doesn't believe that there's something called white privilege and it might be implicit, they have got to that scenario and they should understand. If they don't understand, they don't want to understand. Can I ask you, Mikey, from your own personal experience, how does one feel when one is racially vilified? Oh, wait, to be honest, I've never had a great deal of experience with it personally because I grew up in Jamaica. And as a young man, there was racism in Jamaica, but I didn't experience it because perhaps I just didn't go to places where I would be racially profiled or I would experience racism. I came to England. I experienced it in England. I'm sitting in Australia, but my attitude when I go to places is simple. I tell myself I do not live there and I'll be going home at the end of the tour. I don't have to be dealing with it day in, day out. The more times that I've toured, England in particular, I start to change my attitude towards it because I thought to myself initially, selfishly, I don't have to deal with this. I'll be going home in September. Mm -hmm. But when you meet people who have to be living with it and they tell you their experiences and the way it affects their life, you then get to change your attitude towards it because you say injustice to one man is injustice to all. So you join the boat. And that is how I started to look differently. It has been going on for so long that people don't even realize what is happening to them. There was, I, I, I just finished doing, not when I said just a few days ago, a video for Sky about racism that is going to be shown lunchtime, first day of the first statement. And I spoke a lot about that. There are examples. A lady, a black lady in America, living in her car, had her daughter that she would get into a particular school that she thought was a good school for her daughter to go to. She used a friend's address because in this zonal situation in the U.S., if you live in this zone, you go to that school. She used her friend's address to get her kid into a different school, the one that she would normally go to. The authorities found out. She was arrested, tried, she got five years in jail. Five years in jail for just using someone's address because she wanted to get her kid into a good school. 
Look at what happened to those white, rich Hollywood people. Mm. They didn't just use a fake address. They got people to take exams for their kids. They got people to fake things so that they could get into specific universities. And what has happened to them? A little tap on the wrist, a little knock on the knock. That's one example. That is clear, clear, clear. How can those inequities be allowed to continue? Can those things, a young person growing up and knowing that as a black person, you're going to face all these things. It's going to affect your mind. It doesn't just affect the black person's mind. It affects everybody's mind. I'll tell you something. Yep. I intend to talk about this during the test series as well. There was an experiment or a study, you might want to call it, that was done at Yale University in 2016. And they told the 130 preschool teachers, they're going to show them a video with some kids and they must try to observe which kids are misbehaving. Just look for bad behavior. This video included black boys, white boys, black girls, white girls. This is 2016 now, not a long time ago. They showed the video to these 130 preschool teachers. And they used advanced eye te technology to watch, watch the eyes. In the start of the video, where did the eyes go? Immediately to the black kids. No misbehaved in the video. But they didn't tell them that. They just tell, told them, watch this video and look out for bad behavior. Automatically, within their minds, their eyes gravitated towards the black kids in the video. What does that tell you? That it's automatic, it's embedded, it's in the DNA. And not because they are racist, but because of what is happening around them. When they finish the study, people can go and check this. This is not false. They can go and Google it. 2016, Yale University. When they, they reveal the answers to the teachers, out of the 130 teachers, one teacher, one teacher, said that they do not want the results published. The other 129 teachers were all embarrassed about what had taken place. So it's, they were not explicitly racist. They didn't think they were racist in any way. But because of the society in which they live and because of what happens around them, it is conditioned in their minds. And the other 129 teachers said, I am so embarrassed. Release it. People need to know these things. One out of 130 said they didn't want the information released. That is just basic. And this, again, is not explicit racism. It's the society that has conditioned. Nobody is born a racist. No, no one is born a racist. But it, the conditions that you grow up in, the society in which you live, the environment around you, puts things in your mind without you. It's like osmosis. You don't even know it's there. So it's a tremendously sad thing to think about that, what you're describing. So as a, I don't know if you can answer this, Mikey, as a father of young children and a husband, 
I'm one bloke. What can I do? Each person needs to try and be conscious of exactly what is taking place around them in their own situation, Howie. You have kids growing up, you teach them the right thing. Teach everyone that you come across the right thing, not to condition yourself to look at somebody, their external features. The world that we grew up in, we were all brainwashed. The world that we grew up in, we were made to know, not just believe, to know, because that is what it's all about, brainwashing you, to think that white is right. Religion, Howie, are you a Christian? Uh, I'm not highly religious. No, me neither. But when you went to school, they taught you about Jesus Christ. Yep. Blonde hair, blue eyes. Where in the hell is a blonde hair, blue-eyed man coming from the Middle East? But that is what they put into your head to condition you. Everything is about that. And until we can get people to understand that lots of things that people of other colors and other races and other denominations did, which were good, we are not going to get this playing field level. An alcoholic has to accept that he's an alcoholic before he can get treatment and get cured. Again, I go back to white privilege. A lot of white people tell you that there is nothing called white privilege. Absolute rubbish. And if they do not believe it, they will never be cured. Thanks for your explanations. And I hope they make sense to you. Well, they do, but I need to di- I need to digest them, Mikey. I need to you know, there's a difference between listening and listening, you know what I mean? And hearing and really understanding, yeah, yeah. I guess. Oh, people can't understand things unless they are actually get into into other people's shoes. Because you walk past a man on the street, a homeless person on the street, and you think to yourself, Oh, he's homeless. But you don't understand what that homeless person is going through. You cannot understand it. No. A lot of people don't really understand. They'll come and tell you, oh, yeah, yeah, you can understand. But they don't really understand. And they tell you, oh, slavery was decades ago. Get over it. You don't get over those things that easily. And if the conditions around you still are like slavery, you don't get over it that easily. And you hear people talk about, oh, you know, talking about black power and this is not about black versus white. This is black versus racism. And no black person I know of is trying to say that they are better than any white person. We just want equal justice, equal treatment. That's all. And when you talk about black lives matter and people come back to you and tell you, oh, our lives matter, our white lives matter. You know what I say to them? There's abundance of evidence that white lives matter. There's not a lot of evidence that black lives matter. And that's why we say black lives matter. So, Mikey, do you see a path that the world will take where we can improve this situation or not? Definitely. I think a lot of people are now waking up to the situation where you will look around the world and see the people that are marching and the people that are demonstrating. Once upon a time, 90% were black faces. Now it's almost even. It's almost 50 to 50. So people are waking up. People are seeing what is going on and people are objecting to it. 
big companies are getting involved. Big companies are spending a lot of money. The company I work for here in England, Sky, they have dedicated $30 million towards the cause to see whatever they can do towards the cause to, to make people understand that we are all human beings, we are all the same. Big companies in the U.S. are getting involved. So I am hopeful. I'm not going to tell anyone that it's going to happen overnight because, as I said, the conditioning in the mind is difficult to perceive and to understand and to get over. That same study, I'll tell you something about that study at Yale again. Yeah. They also did a study of teachers and their approach to kids that they are teaching. Black teachers are a lot more critical and hard on black kids than they are on white kids. You know why? No. Because the black teachers have been through it. They know what it takes as a black person to achieve anything in this world. So they are trying to condition the black kids to let them understand that their standards, their punctuality, their effort, their whatever they are doing has got to be greater than normal to achieve. And that is why, and again, I'll tell anyone, if you don't believe me, check it out. So, Mikey, the last thing I'll ask you about this, you've been so good with your time. This discussion we've been having about racism, the whole topic, how does it make you feel? Is it make you feel angry, upset, scared, frustrated? How does it make you feel that in 20... Frustrated. Right. Frustrated. I, I'm not... I'm not I'm not angry unless somebody comes to me and tells me some BS. That gets me angry when people can't understand what's going on and try to justify a certain rubbish that is going on. That makes me angry. But it's just so... Um, you're upsetting me now, Mike. It's just so sad, Mike. It's just so sad that in 2020 this is happening. Yeah, but the thing is, you know, as I said, this is something that is in your brain it goes in by osmosis a lot of people do not want to look at somebody else differently but because of what they grow up with the environment in which they grow the society in which they live it seeps into them without them even knowing it's subconscious without even knowing it can happen and until we admit that there is wrong we can see and understand it we ain't going to change it. Mikey, 100-odd episodes into this podcast, um, the cricket chat was fascinating. I haven't been educated in this podcast like the way you've been educating me for the last half hour and educating our audience. So, well, thank you is not even the right word, but thanks for taking the time to explain the way you see it. I always finish this podcast, mate, by... We have a lot of kids listen to the show. Okay. And by gee, I hope they've listened to this last half an hour with their parents and their parents are now explaining it to them. But back to sport, if those kids want to achieve something in sport or the arts or sciences or music, from your experiences in achieving success on the sporting field, in the broadcasting field and in life in general, what advice could you give those kids, Mikey, that look up and think, right, I want to do something with my life? It's going to sound a little bit corny, but it's all about work. It's all about hard work. 
if you're a sports person, well, not just a sports person, we're in the arts. You have got to work hard at whatever you're trying to achieve. You know, when people look at the great Tiger Woods at golf or anybody that has excelled and they think, oh, that person is so good. They need to look in the background, behind the scenes as to what that person has done. The great performers, musicians, they have people still helping them. They have people still instructing them. Even great singers still have voice coaches that are helping them. So it's a matter of working. If you do not work, you'll get to a certain level that your basic talents can get you to, but you won't get to the excellence that you should get to when you work hard at it. And I would hope that whatever they choose to do, that they also enjoy doing it. Because I think that's half the battle. If you don't enjoy doing it, you're not going to want to put in the hours and the hard work to excel at doing it. If it's something that you're doing and you think, okay, it's just an end to a means to give pay, pay a check at the end of the month, you're not going to excel. You have got to enjoy it and be willing to work at it. And I'm absolutely sure the journey will be a fantastic journey. I've enjoyed my journey. And, you know, at 66, I look back on things and I have a few things that I regret. But the overall picture, the big picture, been great. Talking about great, this journey through your life for me has been great. I appreciate it, Mikey. I hope at some stage I get to work on a game of cricket that you are working on and uh, see you in Hurry person. Hurry up. I haven't got well, much time left. Well, I hope that comes, mate. Thank you so much, Michael, for joining me on the Howie Games. It's been a tremendous thrill for me and you have been an outstanding guest and I've loved every moment of it. Thanks, Mikey. Thank you very much for having me, Howie. Thank you very much. I really cannot thank Mikey enough for coming on the show. It was a huge thrill for me to talk to one of my childhood heroes in such depth and I truly hope, like me, you have some time to think about Mikey's thoughts on the racial divide and discuss it with those close to you and we can all, all move forward together. Thanks to Darce, as always, for getting it done and to old mate MJ, who stepped up his video production operation in the cutting of the player profile promo vid Thanks, MJ. Don't forget to listen to Mikey's player profile in your feed until next Thursday, July 23, when Ian Baker Finch's player profile drops. Peace and love. And we can do it if we try, try, try. If we try, try, try. If we try, try, try. Listener.